We released it last week on episode 52, but we are so excited to let you know that we are offering courses this coming January. They're going to be for anyone wanting to start walking in their calling. And that's from finding out what it is to even getting a more clear vision for where you are headed. The sign-up information will be on our website soon, and we cannot wait to get so many of you started. We also are currently looking for some Unashamedly You affiliates to rock our gear. We'll have the form ready to fill out on the website, but if you want to get a head start and let us know that you want to be a representative for Unashamedly You, make sure to message us on social media. Unashamedly You is headed for some big things, and we cannot wait to do it with all of you. Welcome to the Unashamedly You podcast, a space to enlighten, encourage, and empower you to go out and unashamedly be who God is calling you to be. I am your host, Jamie Herndon. I pray you hear less of me and more of him as you listen to today's episode. Let's grow together. We have a special guest on today, and we recently had her sister-in-law, London Young Bradford, on, and she had talked about the Young London clothing company that she owns. And if you have been on their website or any other social media accounts, then you have already seen this beautiful lady and her gorgeous babies on there, I'm sure. But I'm just so excited that we get to hear from her today and get to hear her story. So Haley Young, what an honor to have you on the Unashamedly You podcast. Introduce yourself to us. Thank you, Jamie. I am so honored to be on today. So a little bit about me. I am Haley Young. I'm 31. I am in Sacramento, California. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. We're youth pastors. Now we are pastoring again. Um, We just started another branch work about 45 minutes north of um, the main campus. My husband and I are doing that. I am also a professor at Wilson University part-time. And yeah, just all the things. (laughs) Definitely a busy lady. Yes. (laughs) So we're thankful that you're on here. So you talked about all the things that you're doing now as Haley Young, the person that we all know and love, but you have an incredible testimony and a story that we would honestly love to have you share with us and to share with the Unashamedly You community. So tell us a little bit about your life before you were the sister Haley Young that we all know. (sighs) Yeah. So let's go back to when I was nine, my parents are missionaries slash they pastor. My dad is British. So I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I was nine, my brothers and I, my parents, we moved to the UK and my dad started pastoring a church. There's about four people there. (laughs) And so I was pretty much in the UK for fourth grade through my bachelor's. And the number one question I get asked is, why don't you have a British accent? That is like the number one question I'm asked. So I can set the record straight. When I am home, obviously the inflection comes out and one of my best friends was just here. And my husband was like, man, like your inflection like completely changed. And you know, you don't think about it. I still go to the wrong side of the car when I'm tired. So my husband makes fun of me for that. But I grew up in Liverpool and that is definitely a undesirable accent. I think a lot of Americans think that there's just one accent in the UK. And if you've ever been to England or traveled outside of London, you'll notice that 
there's a lot of different accents. And so, yeah, that's the number one reason. It's a very, very harsh accent. And the UK has pretty much a class system, if you will. And so a lot of my friends from Liverpool who moved to London to work had to do elocution lessons. And, you know, you really can't get a job with this Liverpool accent. They're called Scousers. So if you look that up, you'll hear the accent. It's very, very harsh. And so my mom kind of was like, you're not going to get that accent. Like, I want you to have a job when you're older. (laughs) But definitely the inflection comes and goes when I'm not thinking about it or when I'm with my, you know, home in England or, you know, my friends are here or whatever. So that is the reason I do not have a strong British accent. Definitely very American. But yeah, so I was there for almost 20 years before I got married. And so my parents, like I said, were missionaries. So there was no fellowship. There was no churches around England 25 years ago was, I feel like in the dark ages, like, I think we just got a Starbucks in the town that I grew up in maybe like seven years ago, right when I moved. Now Liverpool is incredible, but like the history and everything, but as far as churches, they are very bold in when they say that they're a post-Christian nation. And so I didn't grow up you know, with anybody else in Sunday school, it was just me and my brothers and maybe like one other kid. So we pretty much had a fight for our life, I feel like. And if I wanted to have friends, I had to win them essentially. So here I am, you know, nine, 10, 11, trying to teach Bible studies to people. And I think that's probably where it started as the whole kind of trying to find out who I was. And, you know, here I am, moving countries and, you know, trying to find basically who you are and, you know, you've been uprooted and you're in a new school. They didn't at the time even have homeschooling. I'm pretty sure it was illegal in England to homeschool at that time. I'm 31. So this is a long time ago. So I was put into the public school system and which I think it's incredible. Like I know Little Rock has a school. We have a school. People that can have schools at their church. I think that's so incredible and what a protected environment, you know, for kids, obviously going through what I went through in the public school system in the UK. And now being out here in California where it's super wild, (laughs) I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that my children will not grow up in a system like that because it is wild out here. But on the other hand, the beautiful thing about that was, you know, here I am at 12 years old teaching Bible studies and I'm, you know, praying for people and you really are boots on the ground and you learn how to pray people through and you learn how to teach a Bible study and you're singing and you're leading worship at 12. And then, you know, you're teaching Sunday school and, you know, so it's all these things you really learn, you know, and grasp it for yourself. But at the same time, there was this huge void, I guess, because we didn't have fellowship and our church was basically first generation. You know, there was no fourth, fifth generation there. So it was basically dependent on us me, my brothers and and my family. And, and I feel like that's a pretty heavy load for a young girl and, you know, young kids to be the lead all the time in England. Another thing is you start high school at 11. So you're in high school from 11 to 16. So here's an 11 year old, you know, you're mixing with the 16 year olds. I'm like, I totally see why we have middle school and high school in the States. You graduate at 16 and then you go on to something called college for two years And then you go to university. So the school system's very different there. And so I'm in the public school system. None of my friends are in church. I had one girl at the time 
And I think I was 13 or 14. So I had one friend, but again, you know, I was the lead and it kind of started going downhill. I think from there, when I became probably about 16, you know, just being with people and being exposed to things at a younger age, you're going out with your friends, you're going to your friend's house. And I think, you know, that's how the influences started there. And so I remember one of my friends was, you know, just kind of put it out there like, you should model, whatever. And I was like, that's so dumb, whatever. So a few years pass and I'm in college at this point and my parents had gone back on deputation. So now I don't have my parents there. We were in charge of the church, which, you know, I'm 18 years old. My brothers are a little bit older than me. (laughs) Now we're in charge of the church. And so, you know, all these things have been playing for not festering, but for the last year, year or two. And then now I'm really on my own. My parents are gone. You know, the responsibility is completely on us. I'm in university and I'm driving to Manchester, which was about an hour away from my house. And, you know, you meet new friends and you're there and totally different world. And yeah, that's when I got scouted by an agency in Manchester And I was like, oh yeah, you know, what's harmless, whatever. That's, you know, kind of how it starts. It's harmless. Everything's harmless. And, you know, I'm only going to allow this much, but you tell yourself that you've removed yourself from the protection of, you know, your pastor and, you know, all those things. You don't really get to choose what you become. So that's how it kind of started. And I went in, I was like, this is so dumb. Like, I'm not a model. I'm not pretty. I'm not this, you know, I'm like, why are they asking me to come in? And so the whole thing is basically they take Polaroids of you and they pass it around the agency to see if you'd be a good candidate, basically. And they signed me on the spot when I walked in and after they did their thing. So I was like, what is happening? This is so bizarre. And yeah, so I started booking jobs and did a lot of e-commerce. All my stuff was either sportswear, beauty, and e-com. So a lot of online stuff. I've done shoots for L'Oreal, lots of hair brands, makeup brands. I've done campaigns. I did a big campaign for L'Oreal, music videos, Under Armour, Nike commercials. If you can think of a mainstream brand, I probably work for them. So it was a whirlwind. And I don't think I thought I was so deep into it. You kind of justify things and you think, no, you know, it's just a little bit here. And I actually did a shoot for L'Oreal one time and they wanted me to cut my hair, but I said no. And I had to like explain to my booker, you know, my agent, like why I wasn't cutting my hair. And so I think I thought, oh yeah, I'm okay. Like I didn't cut my hair. So you kind of justify and then you keep going. And it's such a small world too. Like I had friends, you know, they'd fly in and they were with some of the biggest name pop stars and hey yeah like there's a party going on and so and so saw you and they want you to come and da 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 and it's just like okay like it was very surreal you're traveling everywhere i was in dubai i was you know in all over europe and basically when you are in the industry you know getting as many agencies as possible is the key you know you want an agency in in different countries you want one in america you want one on the East coast, the West coast. So I'd had a couple agencies, very big agencies wanting to sign me one in London. There's one in New York, but I knew, cause I'd been in the industry for a couple of years. I knew that was like the next step of, okay, well, I'm going to move. I'm going to leave church completely. Um, how am I going to do this? How am I going to tell my parents? Like I'm done. Just, this isn't for me, you know, going through all of that. It's such a bizarre 
thing to look back on because you think you're okay and you think like, no, I pray, like I'm okay, I'm good, but you're deceived, you're not. And I knew like, okay, well, I'm not keeping up with the standards and I believe that I know this is what we teach and I know this is what I was taught, but this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong, but I still felt okay at the same time. It's bizarre. During this time and you're signing all these things and you're doing the modeling, you had said you were going to have to tell your parents, like, did your parents not know? And how was it going for the church? Were you still showing up for the church as well and helping do those things? Or you had pretty much completely quit going? No. So it's by the grace of God that I was not struck down or something because I had to keep, I had to keep going and I had to keep, you know, participating and acting like everything was okay And, you know, that I wasn't off doing all this other stuff. Well, my parents were in the States, so it was a lot easier to hide what I was doing. I think my parents, I, you know, I told them like I had signed this agency, but I don't think they really knew what that meant. And so it was very easy to hide for a while and they were in the States. So they didn't see anything that I was doing. They didn't know where I was going, you know, that type of thing. So I was still showing up at the church, but I know people were like, what is going on? (laughs) So, you know, you get more and more the makeup, you know, the dress, the things like that, you know, how it goes. Right as I was making that decision, they knew in their spirit, you know, and they were trying to be cautious and careful. You know, I think as a parent now, you try not to push your children away to make it worse. So I think they were probably in that vein of, okay, what's really going on? And you know, your kids. And so it was kind of a perfect storm where it kind of lined back up where when I was making that decision, they turned around and they were like, okay, you can't do this. So it was kind of a confrontation and decision-making all at the same time. So thank God, I remember the day where I went to the prayer room and I just remember, actually, well, let me back up. So before that I had done a shoot and actually I got a text from somebody in America and was like, Hey, I think I just saw you on the cover of this magazine. And they were Pentecostal. And I was like, so embarrassed. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It was kind of out there. I honestly, I can't even remember because social media was so different than I'm sure it was out there. But, you know, I wasn't tagging like who I was shooting for. Or I still looked very wholesome, you know, in anything that I did post. I'm trying to think this was 10 years ago. So I'm trying to, you know, remember social media back then. And I remember I was in a store and I was walking and then I turned and I was like, oh, that's me. And I just got this like sick feeling. And I thought that doesn't even look like me. That's not me. And, you know, God knows your heart and he knows how to get you <laughs> and he knows like, when to. And so obviously he knew all the decisions I was about to make. And I think through it all that, like my heart was still tender. It's not like I hated the church. I didn't hate God. I was confused. I was trying to find myself. And, you know, at school I had been like severely bullied. I'm pretty small. I'm five, seven, but I'm a petite build. And so I was bullied a lot, like for my size and all these things. So the modeling industry for me was like, I get to be paid to be this size. So now I found another world where I'm like, oh, I'm accepted. Believe it or not, people, they liked that I was American, but they also hated it. And I was bullied for being American and just crazy things. And so I found a world where it was like, oh, I'm accepted. And this is great. And so, you know, you're going through your teenage years and you're trying to figure out who you are and who you're supposed to become and this door open. And I just was like, oh, let's go. So that was going back to the seeing myself on the cover. I didn't even recognize myself. And it was in probably within a week, God really started dealing with me. 
I knew like the whole time it was like, God, please don't let me die. Cause I know I'm going to go to hell. So kind of remembering those feelings, but I'm just really grateful for his mercy and his grace, because I know there's a lot of people that think, oh, I need to go out and get a testimony. And, you know, I've got to be this and I've got to be that. That is such a lie. I look at these third, fourth generation Pentecostals, you know, my husband, his family, I'm second generation. And I look at our kids we're the youth pastors. And I'm always telling them like, you do not need to go out and get a testimony. That is a lie. You stand, be strong, become who God's called you to be. People that say that, like, I've got to go out and get a testimony. That is so wrong. And people have no idea the scars that you come back with, or if you even come back, it is literally by the grace of God that he yanked me out of there. And I'm just thankful in that, that moment where I had to make those decisions of, am I going to take this to the next step and not come back and thank thankful for my parents, you know, who use their wisdom when approaching me and all the things people need to understand that you do not need to go out and get some sort of testimony to be a witness or more powerful. That is an absolute lie from the devil because you don't get to choose what you become once you leave that. And I don't think people understand you know, once you give an inch, it is true. The enemy will take you a mile. You don't have a say anymore. You know, you've opened yourself up to all these things and just, you know, the world that I was in, thankfully, I mean, I had friends that were, you know, just drugs and just trying to stay skinny. And it was just a mess, an absolute mess. And that world is so empty and it's so shallow. It is so shallow. And I look at the girl's Today, our girls, you know, apostolic Pentecostal girls, and I'm watching them on social media and they're not going to get signed with, you know, some agency, but I'm not talking about filters, you know, do whatever, do you, that's fine. But when you're sitting there and you're editing your photos and you're posing and you're presenting your body and, you know, you're accentuating it in ways and posting that on social media it's that turning towards the world. And I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you could cross into. And we're so captivated by, you know, they've got the beauty industry. I'm like, yeah, that's, there's a reason why it's billion trillion dollar industry because they know how to play on people's insecurities and all of that. It's not real. None of it's real. Perfection is unattainable. Certain social media pages come up on my page and I'll see people like the pages. And I'm like, this is not real. Real people don't look like this. And to shoot a magazine cover, I'm in there for several hours and you've got makeup artists and you've got people that are doing your hair and you've got an entire team to make you look a certain way. And then they're editing you and they need a certain image for their brand. And you've got to look like this. And people don't understand that. It's, it's completely fake. None of that is real. And so wherever I go, if people ask me to speak, I always try to explain that to them. What you're presenting on social media, like this isn't real. This isn't who God created. I don't need you to post some selfie of yourself accentuated with a scripture. Like that is not giving glory to God. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's not. You know, if you want to be a witness and you want to win people, you know, that's not the way taking pieces of the world and then trying to clothe it in some godly manner it is not is not the way you're not giving glory to god it's you're giving glory to yourself
So I always am trying to tell our girls like, Hey, you know, find your identity that you've got to find who you're supposed to become and who God's called you to become, because all of this changes, you know, the ways of the world, they change, everything fluctuates, you know, one minute, you know, skinniness is in, and the next it's curviness. And then it's short hair, it's red hair. It's all these things. Everything is changing, but we have the consistency and we have the word of God to stand on. He never changes. And if they can understand that now, don't go through what I went through, you know, and don't put yourself out there to be viewed like that. So that's a little bit about my testimony. (laughs) I think that so many times girls are looking and really I see guys with Instagram accounts doing certain things as well. And, you know, I do feel like that it speaks more to the girls and to women, but you're longing for something that isn't attainable. Like you said, you know, perfection is not attainable. It's impossible to become perfect. And they're looking at these images and they're looking at these things and Instagram filters. Yes. Sometimes I get it, but to put on a filter that is covering you in makeup or making you look a certain way and you see yourself in this photo and then you go to post a real photo and you're embarrassed. Right. Yeah. So many of the things that you pointed out were so good, but you're standing on something that it's false. It's shaky ground. It's something that you're opening yourself up to being more susceptible to those spirits taking you over to say that you're not good enough. Absolutely. And that's the thing is, I think people don't realize you are opening a door up to that because you've said, I am not good enough. And therefore that's how it starts. And again, it goes back to, you know, your identity and understanding who you are in God and who you're supposed to become. And once you've opened that door, it is very hard to shut. And I mean, even as a mom now, I'm thinking I have two girls and I'm like, what does that say to my girl? Like if my girls saw me, you know, if I'm thinking about people I know, like putting on makeup, I'm automatically telling them I'm not good enough. And therefore you're not good enough because obviously the, the daughters follow what the, the mother does. And so what are you telling them? You know, God didn't make me good enough. Makeup is you're made up. This isn't real. Yeah. So becoming a mom, you start seeing things a lot differently too. You do for sure. Let's talk a little bit about the identity part. So whenever you came back to God, essentially, you didn't completely leave, but you know, you were on the verge of completely walking away and you had to make that decision. Whenever you came back, how did you deal with coming back to God and realizing that your identity is in him and giving all these modeling things up? Because I know that you've touched on, but for the listener audience to know, you can Google her and she is on (laughs) lots of very big, and I had no idea. And I have seen big magazines that you would know the names of these magazines. And these are very prominent magazines that honestly, people are trying to get there that are even in the modeling world. And you had them and you had these contracts, you had these things going for you. That could not have been easy to just walk away from. It wasn't. I made a lot of money. And when you make that amount of money, it's very hard to walk away from. But I mean, going back to my parents, a foundation that was built again, this comes from the first generation. My dad put a love for the word into us as children. And he always took us to the front at church when we were in the States for the first nine years. And then obviously when he pastored, would always take us down to the altar We always prayed in our home. And I think it was those foundational things from my father 
that were deep down in my heart. And so even going through all of this, when I did come out of it, it was because of that foundation. Yeah. So it was very hard to walk, to walk away from that because of the money that I was making. And you know, that world you're connected, you're so connected to everybody and I'm pretty extrovert. So I love to be out doing things and going places and stuff like that. But honestly, essentially I got to a point where, like I said, I had to make a decision and it is by the grace of God that I made the right decision. I found myself in our prayer room at the church. I remember there was no heat on and it was so cold in that room. And I just remember I cried out to God and I said, I need your help. I need strength to walk away. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how to get on my contract. And it was from that day on that God, honestly, he came through. He gave me the strength to, you know, go to the agency and literally told them, I can't do this. And there was one more, I had done a commercial for brand in Australia and they kind of crossed some lines. And I actually, I'd signed when I signed with them, I said, you cannot release this because I'm not comfortable with this. And it was, again, God knows how to put things, you know, right down the line. And they weren't allowed to release, you know, part of it or whatever, because they had crossed some lines and I wasn't comfortable. And cause I was stepping back and saying like, okay, I've got to make this decision. And yeah, it was from that day. It happened so quick. It was within a week I prayed and I got down on my face. Honestly, I think I cried so hard. I did not recognize my face when I got out of prayer. I think it was probably like three to four hours, just, you know, face in the carpet, like, okay, God, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to step back? And it was from, you know, the foundation from my father, a love for truth, a love for the word. We've had prayer in our home. I think it was that foundation that helped me. I came back to that foundation of identity. Okay. I've got to get back to this this is who I am. And then I remembered, I actually felt called to preach. I think I was 14 years old. And so all of those things kind of started coming back and God, you know, started bringing them back up into my life. And yeah, it was not easy. It was a long healing process for me in that period. And it was honestly very intense for about six months. I think I cried. I mean, I would pray every day, at least two hours of just crying. So I'm like, Lord, I don't know if this is prayer, if you count this as prayer, but (laughs) there was a lot of tears, a lot of moments of, I just recognizing like I had wasted all this time. And I know the scripture talks about, you know, he's the only one that can redeem the time. It's so true. So it was almost like falling back in love with what I once had been in love with, you know, the word of God and prayer and getting back into, you know, teaching Bible studies. And it's so crazy how that there's just so much peace when you're in the will of God, when you step back into that, there is so much peace. The peace that I felt when I started, you know, stripping all that away and coming back to God, I can't explain that feeling. And I mean, now, you know, living in the will of God, there's just so much peace there. So yeah, it was going back to my foundation that was laid again, you know, being a parent, I'm in the thick of it right now. Got a two-year-old, got an eight-week-old, you know, you're bleary-eyed, you're tired. And this morning I got the girls and, you know, we prayed and albeit, you know, very interesting prayer, but, you know, teaching them young, but yeah, going back to that foundation where my identity was rooted love that you talk about that and that your dad, you know, you had family prayer and then going down to the front. Those are things that 
as I had gotten older, my father left the church and he got away from God. But I can remember even throughout my life, even as an adult, I would go back to that. He always was a worshiper, always went down front. And I'm like, I'm going to worship while he's away because the devil's not going to win. Yeah. And knowing that when you have those things that are rooted deep inside of you, we can rest knowing that when we're doing that for our children, that God is going to help them in those times of distress, in those decision-making times for someone that may be at the crossroad. They're at that decision-making time. Maybe, maybe they haven't made a decision yet and they're trying to decide which direction to go. Should they go out and get the testimony? It looks fun. It sounds fun. Or even someone that they have done that. You may be listening to this and you're like, you know what? I'm so far off of God's will and out of exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But this is speaking to me and I want to get back. What is something that you would tell that person? I would say, come on home. (laughs) You know, obviously there's a tremendous amount of guilt, shame, you know, all the rest of it that, you know, comes with all of that. And so I look at King David and I look at his life and he was a man after God's own heart. But the sin that he committed, you know, he's out there murdering people and he's committing adultery and what we would class as crazy sin, but he was a man after God's own heart. And I have to remember that, you know, no matter what anybody's done and whoever's listening, whatever you've done, there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing that you've done or you've said that God's not going to love you. And people need to be merciful with those people. And, you know, oftentimes it's twofold. You don't forgive yourself and people are brutal and it's almost not, they want to see you fail, but they're not forgiving born as God is forgiven. But yes, you know, you do have to live with the consequence of this sin, but at the same time, God's not done with you. There's still a plan. There's still a purpose. Become that person. It doesn't matter what anybody else says, you know, God's redeemed you. God saved you. So don't let others stop you. Because at the end of the day, it's not what other people think. People are always going to talk. And, you know, you've got to make that decision for yourself. Albeit it's hard. And, you know, you do have people, obviously, like you said, you just go on and Google me. Am I supposed to let that hinder me? Do I not become who God's called me to be and fulfill the purpose that God wants for me? You know, how is my life going to affect others? Just like sin affects You know, every, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. So does fulfilling your purpose and your calling. If I don't fulfill my purpose and calling, I may be supposed to pray for somebody or supposed to, you know, speak a message or whatever that affects somebody else's life. Well, if I'm so afraid of what people think of me that I'm not going to do that, then I'm also not fulfilling the will of God. Which a lot of with that, you know, is people can know and they can see and like with yours, but it's also proof of what God can do, how he can restore. Like you said, he can redeem time and he can restore to a place where people, they have no idea exactly what has been done or what all is out there. But at the same time, when people do know, and you can see what God can do, he can completely transform a life. He can take someone that has slipped away from him and done things that they regret. But he can make the difference and he can make it up and he can show that, you know, like King David, like you said, being able to see his life and see that he still loved David. He still was able to get back every single time because he cried out to God. Absolutely. And King David committed all those things, 
but I just always go back to, he was a man after God's own heart. I'm like, okay, that says something. God knows, God knows your heart. He knows the fragility of humanity. He created us. You know, we're never going to be perfect and we can't allow that to stop us from becoming who God's called us to be. It's just as simple as that. Reminds me in Psalms 120 and the first verse talks about in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me when you were talking about being in that prayer meeting and crying out to God and he answered you, you know, he was there and he helped you every single step. So this has been absolutely amazing. And I know that you have helped so many people by sharing your testimony and your story. It is such an incredible testimony of what God can do and the keeping power of God, your testimony, you did get away in that season, but knowing that God really, he kept you, he kept his hand on you. He stayed in your heart and kept your mind to where you knew that deep down, like you said, you always knew I need to get back to the roots of God, of how I was raised and how I know that I'm supposed to be living. Yeah. What is one last thing that you would leave to the unashamedly you community today? So I heard brother Matt Tuttle and he preached, I think it was at a camp meeting two years ago, and he was kind of addressing the American church. And I always think about Matthew twenty two fourteen, talks about many are called, but few are chosen. I think in the States, especially when that calling goes out, it's our responsibility to respond. And that makes the difference if you're called or if you're chosen, if you're going to respond to that calling that goes out. And I feel like it's so easy. I've traveled all over the States, been to hundreds of churches and seeing the similar thread that kind of goes through them all of it's easy. You know, you've got the programs and you've got things for people to kind of hide behind and, or just sit on the pew. If you go to a larger church, you know, it's easy to just coast on by, but to make the difference, to be chosen and to fulfill your identity in Christ and who God's called you to be. I just encourage anybody who's listening really become all you can become, get involved in everything in your church, be teaching Bible studies, pray every day and not just a religious thing, but get in relationship with God and see what he will do. Your All your hopes and dreams, I can promise, will be exceeded above what you can think. If you just commit yourself to that process of becoming who God's called you to be, people's lives are just going to be changed and turned around and God really outdoes himself. Think about all of the things that you did in the modeling world and the ways that you could have been used. And then to think about how God is using you now. It's honestly, it's mind blowing. It's really mind blowing. And that's why if you just commit yourself to the process, you know, it's not going to be easy, but if you really, really commit yourself and trust the process, it is incredible what he'll do with your life and who you'll become. This was so good. And like you had mentioned earlier, all the things that you have going on and you're a mom of two littles, but you hopped on here with us and we are forever grateful because I know that someone has been changed by your words today. Thank you so much, Sister Haley, for allowing the Lord to use you and to share your testimony with us. We are forever changed and grateful. Thank you for having me. We are so happy that you chose to listen to another episode of the Unashamedly You podcast. Don't forget to share this with your friends and share it on social media. We love when someone lets us know that they are listening because a friend told them about our podcast. Let's continue to encourage one another together. Go be unashamedly you.